Welcome to All the Things with Monique Dusan from the Center for Biblical Unity and theology mom, Krista Bontrager. And now, here's Krista and Monique. Hi. Hi. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to All the Things. I am Monique Dusan, and I'm sitting still. And I'm Krista Bontrager, and I'm wiggling. Yes, she's literally taking the whole table all, all around with us. I don't know what you're doing. I was trying to get settled. That was a little last minute adjustment. Well, there it is. Well, this is the show where we talk about all things related to God, the Bible, and real life. Yes. Did we already introduce ourselves? Yes. Okay. I think we did. I was so dis- I was so confused by the wiggling. I feel like we should do this again. All right, helping us on the show tonight is the one and only Bob Bontrager. There he is. Yay. And helping us out in the chat box tonight is the one and only Jeremy Webb. That's right, Mr. Chicago. Yes, grateful for him. Thanks for helping us, Jeremy. And I see Rachel's here, Ann's here, Andre, Jerry. Yes, Candy's here. Okay. What up? What's up, fam? Glad to see everyone. And we are live tonight, so be sure to join us on the chat box. We'd love to have you add your voice. You can ask questions there or interact with us. We will. We do check the chat periodically throughout the show. And um, as relevant questions come in, we try to incorporate those into the conversation. Yes. And uh, Facebook has allowed a few people to watch us uh, on uh, Oh, on we're Facebook very grateful. There. So we're we three grateful to Facebook. Thank yes. Facebook. Thank you, Facebook, for allowing us to be present on your platform tonight. <laughs> Yes. Pushing out those those alerts to a few people. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're going to keep pressing on. So that's a good uh, time to just reinforce. Make sure that you are still subscribed, that you're still following. You have the notifications on because sometimes big tech likes to make up your mind for you and unsubscribe you. Yes. So also hit the thumbs up and share the show with a friend if you don't feel safe or comfortable sharing it publicly, just slip it in someone's DMs and in someone that you think would appreciate this topic or find it helpful. That's one of the main ways that people find the ministry is someone shared content with them. So there it is. And tonight's show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity, Theology Mom Podcast, and Family 210 Clothing. Okay. And I think we have a new design to feature tonight. Uh, it's a new graphic, we should say. Older design, new graphic. First time we've featured it on the show. Go to family210.com. Yeah, this is a, a word cloud of the first two chapters of Ephesians. So yes. the more times the words appears in the first two chapters, the larger the word. So that's what that design is, is around. And since that is our some of our core ministry mm-hmm. passage, that is a great one to pick up. Yes. And the 210 and family 210 refers to Ephesians 210 is we are God's masterpiece. Awesome. And about $10 of every sale goes to help support our family mm-hmm. and the ministry. And we are very grateful for all of your support. So what's been happening with you? Uh, let's see. Saturday. Nope. Saturday. Today is Saturday. 
It's been a long week, y'all. Friday, I wrapped up the New Zealand conference with Thinking Matters. She's been on tour in New Zealand. Been on I tour bet you in didn't New know Ze- that. Yeah, been on tour in New Zealand. Um, so yesterday was our last conference. We did a five-city tour. And I'm so glad for the opportunity to learn about the New Zealand culture, some of what's happening there and how critical race theory has crept into the New Zealand culture and made its way into the school systems. And to be able to lend my American voice and um, be able to just offer some different thoughts scripturally on how they can um, stay unified and work together as family. Awesome. Uh, Jill's. Uh, Jill Stevenson is checking in from Fredericksburg, Virginia. Hey, someone else is here from Newport News. Lori, yes. Virginia. Yes. Lori is also in Virginia. Now, hey, we're going to Virginia. We're flying there in the morning. Yes, literally. We have to be at the airport at 5 a.m., folks. This is going to be a short show. I'm just letting everybody know. Putting it out there directly and up front so nobody Bedtimes. gets off, you know, ca- caught off guard. We will not be going long tonight. Um, Newport News. You know, there used to be like a clothing brand called Newport News. I used to um, order heels from them. You could like buy them online. Yes. Jill, please stop. Oh, my gosh. She said my name. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Now, I don't know how far Newport News is from, what? what is it, Fredericksburg? Yeah. From, where are we going? We are going to... Chesapeake. Chesapeake and Virginia Beach. And Virginia Beach, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to go visit Regent. Yes. So, so, yes, we will be in Virginia this week. We are looking forward to that. And... Oh, Rachel says, thank you, Bob, for the explanation about where the name Family 210 came from. I thought it was because there's a freeway by our house called the 210 Freeway. (laughs) I learned something myself, folks, okay? (laughs) I also am in the learning process. All right, ready to jump in? Well, we got a couple of house cleaning things we got to do first. Okay, sorry, I just, I told you, it's our (laughs) early show tonight. I'm just trying to get right to the punchline. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I, well, I just noticed on camera, I'm really large, which means I'm sitting a little bit closer to the well, camera here, than Monique is. Let me help you. Well, now you're going to be messing up this well, camera. Sorry, let me scoot back. Yeah, I don't know. know what to... People. We, we're can we're we, not we, on the same plane. We just Anyways. have to keep going. Sorry. Okay. All right. So we want to let you know about the uh, Uniting People Conference that's coming in just a few weeks. Up conference. Whoop, whoop. And we've been doing a series of shows uh, helping to introduce you to our speakers We talked to Abraham Hamilton a few weeks ago. Last week, we had Scott Allen. And tonight, we've got Kat Elias with us. So go check out the conference at centerforbiblicalunity.com slash up2021. You can find out all the speakers. Sam Say is going to be there. Edwin Ramirez. You and I are giving a talk. It's going to be... Cal Beisner, Dr. Cal Beisner from a couple months ago, a month and a half ago. Mm -hmm. So... What we're really trying to do with the UP Conference is provide very practical, biblically-focused conversations on justice. The theme this year is justice. So if you find yourself wondering, what is justice and how do I do it? There's that. (laughs) This is the conference for you. Um, Tell your pastors about it. Get your young people enrolled. Watch it together. Uh, If you have teenagers, watch it together as a family. Discuss it. And uh, it'll, I think it'll be really helpful to all of you. 
We are super excited about this year's Up Conference. Go register at centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash up 2021. You can receive just the recording or you can come to the live version and you can order the live and the recording. It's going to be good and it's going to be very informative on how we can be doing as Christians biblical justice in our culture today that is calling for social justice. So you don't want to miss it. And one of our speakers at the conference is going to be Katrina Elias. So we're going to talk to her tonight. And uh, I suggested to Monique, maybe we could cover something that Katrina wanted to talk about in her talk, but we had to cut. Mm -hmm. So this will be a good opportunity for us to get to know her and for her still to be able to share some new content with us. Yeah, I'm super excited about her topic at UP. It is um, enablement versus empowerment. And, you know, there's a lot of times when the church can actually be enable. trying to do yeah. something noble, helping the poor, but we slide into mm-hmm. enablement. So. And I've seen our notes on this. This is going to be good. Yeah. So you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. Let's bring Kat in. Oh, there she there is. There she is. Hello. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, Kat. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. We can okay, hear good. you. Good. I got lost. It kicked me out already. Oh, that's unfortunate. We're okay. sorry. We're glad you're the here. Boot. That's a tough crowd. there's that Mm -hmm. yeah now um i know that you are also um well aside from just being like a cool person you are an lcsw so a licensed clinical social worker and you are also the founder of an organization called beautifully rooted so can you tell us a bit about yourself why you decided to get into social work and a bit about your organization Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, so my name is Kat Elias. Um, I am an LCSW, which is a licensed clinical social worker, which means therapist and clinician. Um, I'm, wor- I'm married to a wonderful man, Manny Elias, for 11 years, and I have six children. We have a blended family. I have two stepsons that are 20 and 18, and then I have a 10, 8, 6, and 4-year-old. Um, they are BMWs. They're black, Mexican, and white. Um, I love laughing, love puns. So that's about me. Um, in regards to mental health, um, I got into social work, um, because I wanted to help out with relationships and that's what we kind of do at beautifully rooted. Um, we work on healthy thinking, healthy living and healthy relationships all in Christ. And so that's not me, but that is a girl that is on the website right there. Um, so in regards to that's me, that's you. Yeah, that's me. And then a little half of me down there, little Uh mini me. And uh, Paulette. Um, so um, in regards to mental health, I've been working in the field for about 17 years or so. Um, a lot of it was in medical social work, um, working with all different ages. So I worked with at an outpatient clinic where there was pediatrics, OBGYN and family medicines so was all ages. I worked with HIV and AIDS for a very long time and congestive heart failure. Um, and also uh, with those that were pretty sick, long-term acute, things like that. Um, I started beautifully rooted um, to, I thought I'd be at Kaiser for a long time, but actually God called me out to start beautifully rooted. Um, it started as a, an effort in my backyard to help women that I, that I knew individually who are in tumultuous relationships. And I thought, man, can we just get them all together? And I got them all together in my backyard and God just really showed up. And so God called me out to, to do that. Um, our base scripture is Jeremiah 17, seven, eight, um, and hence the word rooted. So we want, so blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes for its leaves remain green. And it's not anxious in the year of drought. 
um, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So we, we encourage being rooted in the word, rooted in Christ, our well-being, not being dependent upon people, things, or circumstances, but on Christ alone. And personally, the Lord has worked in my life tremendously. He has taken me from uh, learning unhealthy things to learning healthy things and along that journey and has given me, I think once the Lord has worked in your life, you just want to share it. So the Lord has mm-hmm. blessed me to be able to share that. Um, and in the, my background, I, you know, I thought I knew scripture. I thought I knew uh, what the Bible said. And what I ended up finding out is I knew what church said and I knew what five scriptures were. And I thought that was all the Bible. So my husband helped me out tremendously when it comes to biblical scriptures. It's one of his gifts and um, uh, interpretation and teaching and things like that. And so I really now have passion on getting people rooted in the words. So that's where um, Beautifully Rooted comes from. And we, we love Manny. Yes, <laughs> I love him too. Yes, we. Yes, do. he's great. Mm-hmm. He's he's a great guy, and and Cat and Manny were part of our um, theology of of race and ethnicity class a few months ago. They came as guests and mm-hmm. talked about their experience as an interethnic family and just a wonderful resource. So I'm and an internet ethnic people. Yes, yeah, yeah, They're coming together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So just super glad to be able to introduce Kat to the thanks. on the on the podcast so and, and to everyone. Yeah. So and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it so much. <laughs> I really do. Well, we're honored to have you here. Yes, and I'm excited about what you're gonna bring. Hmm. So Less when pressure. we think about, <laughs> I better bring it. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> I know you're a little nervous. It's gonna be okay. Uh, no, she's good. Well, yeah. I would never admit that. On yeah. uh, no, she's well, good. I get nervous. So, oh. all right. Um, even after all this time. Um, so when we think about doing justice, I know that, you know, empathy is a big thing. And there's a lot of conversation right now in our culture about empathy. Yes. And it it is an important motivation. It is important is mm-hmm. is we're trying to reach out and to help other people. But we thought it would be good for us to do a little bit deeper dive on the the pros and the perils of of empathy. And sometimes when, you know, in our zeal to help people, it actually ends up not helping them and that's true. Being counterproductive. So maybe we could start with a definition of what is empathy? Because, you know, it's not generally like a fruit of the spirit. It's it's not, you know, a word that we that we necessarily mm-hmm. see in scripture, but it seems somewhat compatible with biblical ideas. So maybe we could start with a definition. Sure. Um, I mean, I think that empathy is um, being able to pick up on and sense another's emotions um, mm. being able to feel for another person, um, in a way that it's kind of like you're feeling for them, at least to some degree, um, feeling what they might be feeling, um, and to be able to see things from their perspective. I think that's really what empathy is. Um, it's kind of like, you know, trying to walk a mile in someone's shoes, um, trying to put yourself in their shoes. That's empathy. Um, empathy is, is like sympathy. I think for a long time, we use the word sympathy. That's all we knew. I know when I was a kid, we never used the word empathy. Um, so empathy is more of a newer term, I think. And I think one of the difference between empathy and I think we can understand sympathy. Those are of us that are old enough. Um, that's when you feel sorry for another person, right? But empathy is more personal. It's more interpersonal. It's more connected. It's like, I feel sorry for them, but I, I feel sorry for them. Um, I, 
think usually empathy is coupled with actions. So it's not just usually that I feel for them. It's I move to do something about it. Mm. Um, sometimes, you know, for a person who's really, really, really in touch with our emotional side, you know, really in tune with our emotions, um, we can just really just feel a whole bunch because of that empathy. And we're not always moved to action, but usually there's some sort of action. Um, and I think in regards to Christianity, I think we have, um, an extra level when it comes to empathy. I think there's like an extra thing to throw in there. I think that I have a pin in my hand. Um, I think that there's an extra implication when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to our Christian walk, I think that there's an implication out of empathy and generally caring for another person that we care about their spiritual life. Um, and, you know, I think it's something that's different than what the world says. The world says, we care about the self, sure, but as Christians, part of our empathy that's specific to us is caring about another's spiritual relationship with Christ. Hmm. Um, you know, I think Galatians tells us that brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spiritual, in a spirit of gentleness. So empathy is is what I part of what I hear in that is it's not just feeling sad for the person, but it's right. going beyond that. It's it's almost motivating me to take some kind of step to try to reach out right. to them and, and to do something because I can kind of identify with what they're, what they're going through right. on some mm -hmm. level. Okay. I think biblically, I think we interchange that. I mean, I think we sometimes plug in the word love. I think that's how we understand love is I have this real connection to each other that I feel for them. Um, it's a little bit different, but I think that we do that in the, when it comes to the Bible. Now, I how would you define enablement? Like, how was it different from empathy? Well, I think that um, enabling is that is kind of like an extra empathy when we act upon that extra empathy, right? So I think technically enabling um, doesn't necessarily mean something negative. It means, you know, just being able to, uh, I think, Marin, I think the definition is actually to provide with the means or opportunity or to make possible, practical or easy. Um, I think that that could be positive, that could be negative, that could be neutral. But I think in the medical and in the therapeutic realm, we usually attach a negative connotation to it. So it's it's kind of aiding and abetting somebody in some sort of dysfunctional, unhealthy um, behavior, addictions. That could be through overdoing, um, overcompensating, lacking boundaries, lacking accountability systems, um, providing them with something to, that would help encourage their self-destructive behavior. Um, where I think empathy is the feeling aspect. Enabling is having so much feeling that you act upon it. Um, and it, but it encourages unhealthy behaviors. Hmm. Um, and then again, in Christianity, I think that enabling, um, also has to do with withholding truth, withholding accountability, um, not helping each other grow spiritually and recognize sin. So what I hear you saying is that where empathy would be something that could potentially be okay. It's, it's okay to understand, you know, what's, what someone's going through or to seek to understand what someone's going through to feel, you know, for someone who might be going through something enabling would then be to over empathize to the point where it's to the mm -hmm. detriment of someone else. When we're looking at unhealthy enabling, like I could be enabled to go to school. I can win a scholarship and be enabled to go to mm -hmm. school. That would be a positive form of enablement. But when we're looking at the enablement that many people are talking about um, therapeutically or that offers hindrance to people's development, that yes. would be more of this negative enablement saying, you know, you're not really helping this person to thrive or to understand personal 
personal responsibility if you continue to sit in a place of doing everything for them or not confronting them on their sin or not having honest conversations with them. Am I hearing you right? You're hearing me right. right. And I think just to add to that, I I really like, Kat, your phrase of like kind of taking down their accountability structures Mm -hmm. that 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 that's an interesting way of phrasing that that enablement almost it it goes too far because then there's almost it reduces consequences it reduces we we might think we're doing well but then accountability structures can start deteriorating so it's good to weep with those who weep it's good to mourn with those who mourn that's empathy um, it, but it can go too far. Right. And I think empathy in itself is typically a good thing, but I think empathy without discernment, not necessarily empathy without boundaries, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's biblical. Um, and I think it gets us into a lot of trouble and a lot of risky behaviors, relationships. Um, and then I do think it inhibits, uh, someone living up to the godly potential, the potential that God has given them, I should say. Well, the next question that Jeremy's asking is actually the next question um, that we want to talk about, which is the difference between kind of positive and negative enablement. Like, how do you spot the difference? How do the enter the kind of the interplay between empathy mm-hmm. and enablement? How do we know when we're going too far? Okay. Well, I think that over empathy can lead to enabling someone else, right? And that person being enabled can lead them to have less empathy. Um, for others, right? So I think that's kind of the connection there. But I think um, enabling, I think the example you gave about going to school, enabling someone to come closer to God, to um, be encouraged to live out to their full potential, those are positive things, right? So that's how we enable somebody. And I think um, another term that we use that might make it a little easier to distinguish is empowering somebody. That, that oh, I like be that better. Yeah. More of a empowering. Um, I think the reason why I pointed out that, that, um, enabling can have a positive connotation is because that's the dictionary's definition of it, but that's not really how we utilize it in regular talk in therapeutic world in medical world. Usually when we refer to enabling, it's almost always negative. Mm-hmm. Um, we would probably use the other word empowering or something else. So somebody could be enabled if, if, um, to try something new, right? So that's enabling them because you're encouraging them, you're building them up, you're edifying them. Um, so they try something new, so you're enabling them to do that. Something negative, enabling them in a negative fashion, draws them farther away from God, um, makes them less responsible for themselves. You don't see the fruit of the spirit. You see the the other things kind of flourishing. Um, I think those are some ways that you would know the difference. Uh, maybe you're, and I think we're going to get to some of that, um, if you still want to ask the ask the questions later, but, um, maybe you're over involved. That's kind of a sign that you're enabling somebody negatively. Um, you're more worried than they are, things like that. So I think those are all signs. I think like, yeah, when I think of empowering somebody, I think of keeping the bar high. Like you're, you're almost like encouraging them to reach beyond what they think they can do. Hmm. And you're removing an obstacle, whether that's a mental obstacle or a physical obstacle that that kind of helps give them a boost of like, see, I know you can do this, you know, and, and um, sometimes with your kids, you, you know what their potential is, but you're trying to help them realize their potential. Yes. And so you're, you're trying to remove a barrier um, t- or, or to encourage them to take a risk or to go higher 
apply for the job, apply for the, the scholarship, apply for the program, and you're empowering them to be able to do that. Like right now I'm working with my daughter on crafting a letter for the college. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. I want her to do it, but I'm coming alongside to help support her and push her forward. Yeah. Now, I think that that is, it's, we have to be so awesome. mindful, I think, of those times when we just kind of take over for yes, the person yes, and yeah. we take, let me write it for you. Yeah. Let me do I it for rejected. you. Great. Yeah. Thanks mom. I know. Yeah. And yeah. so that, that actually doesn't help people grow into right. their best self. And as people who are humans are created in the image of God, you know, they have beautiful potential that God has put inside of right. each of us. So we have to kind of help sometimes push people along when they lack confidence that could be positive enabling, mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Yeah. And then even as I was thinking, as you're speaking, like, like you said, and when it comes to college, um, paying for someone to go to college who wasn't, who wouldn't either, uh, wouldn't be able to afford that on their own, um, and blessing them with that, um, that would be enabling them to be able to do that positively. I think enabling somebody in a negative way keeps them from doing positive things, keeps them from growing. Enabling somebody positive should help them grow more. Hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely can can see that and see how that's at play, you know, with the here I can do this for you or here I can support you as you do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're ever in the therapeutic office with your and the therapist is telling you you're an enabler, you're enabling your kids, they're almost never going to say that in a positive light. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to be a positive enabling more than like you got some work to do. You got some more sessions to go. (laughs) There you go. Now, is it wrong to be empathetic or to empathize? No, I think it's great. I think it's a complete Christian concept. Um, I think that that's that's uh, um, you can't have a healthy relationship without some sort of empathy. Hmm. You can't you can't do you can't um, people who don't have empathy um, have personality disorders like narcissism. Right. Um, like antisocial, sociopath type of things. You, you want to have empathy. I think we see when they don't have empathy, we understand why that's a bad thing. Um, I think that um, it's a good thing. I think we just have to be very careful about having discernment um, when, we, when we have empathy, because I think sometimes it can lead to a bad thing. Um, well, let's, so, yeah, let's talk about that bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> because, mm-hmm. you know, what are some of the factors that you've seen in your practice as you've worked with people over the years of, okay, we got some red flags. Now we're starting to see that empathy is actually leading to this unhealthy place where Mm -hmm. uh, an intent, what started off as a beautiful intent of wanting to help others is now turning into, this is actually not being helpful. Well, I think a lot of times we see that in parenting. Mm. Um, I think um, just to remember your, your question correctly, um, some examples that I've seen of where empathy uh, isn't a good thing, right? Yeah, and what what are the, some of the the signs that that come up when you start noticing that, like, oh, we might be going into a bad place here? Hmm. Yeah, um, I think I think you see that in parenting. I think you said all over, um, because usually um, enabling is coupled with some sort of addiction, 
Um, so somebody's already in some sort of self-destructive behavior. Um, it's not always, it can be with some sort of, um, toxic behavior, some sort of personality stuff going on, relationship stuff. But, um, I think that we see that in, in parenting a lot. We, um, our parenting shift has, we have had a parenting shift. So we used to be more austere, very boundaried, um, more parent focused than child focused. The child joins our life. We don't join theirs necessarily. Um, we still have love and respect, but, um, there's definitely lines marriage first, then child, um, that changed, um, where we focus more on the child. Um, the child kind of comes above parenting, which is not a, um, a, the child becomes before uh, marriage, um, which is not a necessary biblical concept. Um, and then I think what we see from that is that we have a generation of kids um, who are coddled, who um, aren't made to pull through tough feelings. And that really is a big basis for a lot of personality disorders. Um, they don't have the confidence to know that they can pull through tough times. Um, we have a lot of kids who don't connect their actions with their consequences. Um, we have a lot of kids who have a heightened sense of themselves. And, um, I think that's where you see entitled behavior. And I think that we're seeing a, a ripple effect of these kids now being older and, uh, making decisions. Um, I think that, um, I think we see that in the woke culture, right. Um, and over a, a I think a lot of people are, um, have a really good heart, really want to help and have compassion. Um, but the woke folk, they get, kind of duped. They get kind of sucked into this, uh, dynamic through empathy, having over empathy, um, without discernment, they kind of get sucked in and then, um, enter into that whole arena. Hmm. There's a couple of questions we want to go to quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to start on YouTube. Amanda asked a really good question. She says, any tips on growth for someone who may be the product? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, any tips on growth for someone who may be the product of an enabling family structure? Absolutely. Um, I, first of all, um, I think that it has a lot to do with boundaries. And I think a lot of these things, these are all behaviors that we learn. It's not genetic. Um, it's so that's a good thing that it's not genetic because we can relearn it. That what you have to do is you have to relearn how to do life, how to do relationships um, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. Um, there's a lot of different books out there that are good starts, um, a good starter. You can start with counseling. There are lots of support groups like codependency anonymous, because that tends to be, um, synonymous, right. With, with enabling, um, children of alcohol, adult children of alcoholics. Um, there's national lines of mental illness, NAMI, um, there's different groups like that celebrate recovery that help out with that. So really it's learning on, uh, clearing up boundaries, learning assertive communication. Um, I really think being rooted and having your identity rooted in Christ and being rooted in the word, um, so that you're defined by who God says you are. Um, when that happens, when our well-being is dependent upon God, it doesn't matter. We don't need as much validation from those people who aren't really going to give it to us or aren't very healthy themselves. So when we are rooted in the Lord, then we have the strength to fall back on while we're walking through these changes, because once you're making changes in your family, once you're making changes inside here and it comes out as actions within your family, your family, a lot of times gets worse at the beginning, which tries to pull us back to our old behaviors. So you really need to have some sort of accountability, some sort of support system, whether it's accounting, um, being rooted in the word, rooted in your relationship with Christ, knowing who you are, who your identity is in Christ. So that way you don't fall back and recede. And then what you normally see is that when you start making those changes, usually, even though their symptoms go up at first, usually their symptoms start to come back down. And what you'll see is kind of a, what I call a popcorn effect where one person gets healthy and they do the work 
for generations of families that have not done the work and couldn't pass on what um, they needed to that healthiness, because they, it's hard to teach what you don't know. So when that one person makes that change, it's a lot of work, but they make that change. The other person starts to get a little bit worse, but then they start to get better. And then you start seeing a popcorn effect of different people in the family getting better. Um, then also boundaries help you learn. What do I do in relationships? How do I set limits? Who do I keep in relationship? Who do I not? What do I do when problems come up? Um, and we add in people into your system that are healthy. Um, there's a lot that you can do. Yeah. I've seen I, miracles happen. Yeah. I, I think that for me, like growing up, I had a lot of struggles and, you know, I been through a lot of counseling and it's been very helpful, but you're so right that when one person in the situation yeah. starts to try to get healthy, but the dynamic of a lot of unhealthy people are around that person. When one person starts making a shift, it can be highly disrupting. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so absolutely. you have to be strong enough in yourself to, to withstand all of the yes. crazy disrupting that happens that it's almost like people don't want you to get healthier. They don't well, want you. They to don't want you to get healthier. Yeah. yeah. That, would, that would force them to make a change. So they either have to change and grow or find somebody else to do that with. Right. Yeah. So it upsets or they and end up leaving the relationship in sometimes. some, some way. Yeah. And, and sometimes they don't and they get better, but it's, yeah. it's um, the pressure that they give you is like, it's like the system, even though it's dysfunctional, it works, mm -hmm. right? Like it, it, it's, it, there's kind of like a homeostasis. It, no, nothing is changing, even though it's, it's complex and it's not, it's, it's not so good. So, but when this one person gets, starts to get better, well, now you're leaving this person vulnerable. Now they have to face a certain reality that they've worked really hard not to face. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and you've kind of forced them. They don't really like that. They weren't ready for that. They didn't want to, otherwise they would have made this change already. And so they either have to make choice to get better if you stick with it, or they find somebody else to do that with. And then usually a lot of times you'll see people start to get better, but the pressure on you is all the questions that they have in their mind of, well, how can you do that? Why should you do that? Isn't this a bad thing? I don't, I'm feeling kind of vulnerable. All their anxiety gets poured on you. It's like, you're doing work for generations, uh, yeah, but it's worth yeah. it. I have to tell you, it's 100% worth it. The freedom that you experience going through that um, and the resilience that you get as a result. And, and you, you can't help but get close to Christ in that and, and draw closer to Christ. And then really you have to rely on him. Um, it's, it's completely worth it. Even when you come from a family like that, and then you learn one of the great things that you can do when you have a family that has a whole bunch of dynamics that they haven't worked out yet to be healthy is you learn how to love people who have limitations and have the right expectations so that you're not constantly disappointed. And then you have genuine love for what their capacity is. And that's, that's so, so true. And, and you're so right about the generational thing. I mean, that is what pushed me to get counseling, to stay in counseling, even when it was hard, because I wanted something better for my kids. That's right. And I had a totally different experience. Yeah. And I knew that I had to get better so that my kids would have a chance mm -hmm. to not right. live out the same problems yeah. that I had had yeah. in, in growing up. And right. it was so hard because yeah. here they were, they were small and I was trying to get myself better and then parent them at the same time in my own brokenness. Mm -hmm. And so the, as they were getting older, I was getting a little bit better, you know, and we're mm -hmm. kind of growing together and I'm just yeah. hoping like, hoping I'm doing enough, but the enabling when you, when you wake up one day and you realize 
oh, I have this, these enabling patterns. Yeah. How do I begin to change this? There is a way out of that, but mm-hmm. it's, you have to be very yeah. committed to, yeah, to and, doing the work. And I think that's one of the first steps is, um, I mean, it sounds like an anonymous meeting, but I think that's one of the first steps is that um, the education piece, even just knowing, wait, this isn't the way I'm supposed to do it. Just that education of knowing um, and learning what should be, what does healthy look like can be so freeing in itself. Um, because then you're no longer stuck to those, um, that one way of thinking that you had before. Now we're getting a ton of questions. Um, (laughs) You're really, we're, we're, we're getting a lot of interaction here. Allison asks is, or would empathy be similar to mercy as in having Mm -hmm. the gift of mercy? Like it's sort of the gift of mercy. Is it like the, well, I think mercy implies an action as well. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think empathy is more um, the feeling they have. So I think in the regards to how you view somebody, you have mercy for somebody who has wronged you. Um, you have mercy for somebody who is out of line um, and not and is sinful. Um, and then you can have empathy. This is one of the places that you want to get to that really is a free concept. You want to have empathy. Um, even when somebody's wronged you, we feel sorry for that person that they're so out of line with God's will. Right. And in, in their sinfulness. So in that way, I could see how they're similar, but I think, um, mercy implies, um, relinquishing some boundaries, right. Or relinquishing some sort of consequence, Hmm. um, where Uh empathy doesn't necessarily imply that you're going to release some of those consequences. I I think too, that, uh, you know, there, there's this other dynamic of mercy, you know, that can actually, I think, lead to an unhealthy place. And that's true for so much of what we're talking about here is that when, how, what is that situation or how do we know when it's starting to go too far? Because the, the Bible tells me to put others interests right. before myself. Right. And right. so does that, then yeah. lead then to enabling. Says, so um, I think the verse right after that, right, also says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, right? So it's not saying forsake everything of our own interests for somebody else, right? Um, so we can look to our own. Um, I think that the, there's, a, there's a couple of signs that um, we've passed the line and we need to come back. Um, I think when you are... Um, I think that when you are finding that you're worrying more than the other person, I think that's a, a, oh. a, a telltale sign, right? Have, yes. you ever been, have you ever been in a relationship and you're, you're, you're like, man, I've got all these things in the morning. And they're like, what's, what are you yep. talking about? Are you, I'm totally fine. Why? Because we're doing all the worrying. Some people are experts at, I don't really like to talk about energy. I'm not metaphysical at all, but I think it's, if you envision like they've got this, this anger, this, this anxiety, whatever, and they just have this ability to give it to you. And you have an ability, if you're not really good with boundaries to just accept it and you start taking on all this energy from the other person. So they're now free not to have to worry about anything. Right. So we have to learn how to kind of give that back. But when you start finding that you're worrying more than that person, that is a sign. Um, if you start having resentment, that is a, a telltale sign of a lack of boundaries. Um, resentment, um, you are withdrawing from that person. You have a desire to avoid them. Um, those are definitely negative feelings. Um, those are all definitely telltale signs. Um, when you're spending massive amount of time, when you wouldn't normally otherwise do that, um, and it's starting to impede in your own life, I think that's a sign. Um, like a lot it, of a massive amount of time with the other person. With the other person, spent in conflict resolution. Um, in doing things for them. Oh, okay. 
um, just that you're spinning, like your focus is now their focus, right? And it's impacting your own life. Um, we do that. I mean, how many times do we see women do that with men? Um, so often, right? They're so absorbed about getting them to their goals or whatever that they just kind of sacrifice their own. Um, when you start hiding facts from people that you love and care for and that genuinely care about you, you have to do this protective thing. I think that's a sign that you might be um, enabling somebody else. Um, I think when you start being honest with yourself um, and you start, you start being honest with them, you start, you're not speaking truth and love anymore. Um, you're withholding, you're withholding truth. Um, why? Because you don't want them. You don't want to upset them. Maybe you're just really uncomfortable with, um, somebody else being uncomfortable. Um, you don't want, you don't want to inflict pain. You feel you have an, you are very sensitive to feeling guilt. Maybe, um, maybe you are trying to prevent them from leaving. Right. Um, so it's kind of a control factor in there. Um, I think those are all kinds of signs when you are, um, when you find yourself depressed, you know, anxious, you might be doing too much. Well, we're getting some more. Yeah, woo, we got I'm, We got a lot, girl, of, lot of questions. Sorry. So let's let's do. I can talk about this all day. So it's okay because we about to. We yeah, about to. Let's do Jill's question on YouTube. Okay, Bob. Yeah. Uh, go up a little bit. There you go. Thank you, Jill. Thank you for letting. Yeah. Me. Regarding boundaries, can you read that one? Yes. Regarding boundaries and unhealthy relationships. How, being a Christian, do we walk when, I'm sorry, do we know when to walk away from unhealthy relationships? At which point would it be reasonable to say no more? Come on, girl. Come on. Mm-mm-mm. Come on, because I can answer this one, too. Go ahead. You want to go first? <laughs> huh? No, you go first. You girl. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I think that um, each relationship you is you kind of take on a case by case basis, right? So marriage is a little bit different than a friend, which is different than a coworker, which mm. is different than mm-hmm. uh, with our children, right? With, or with people who are actual dependents, who are really our dependents. Um, so I think you need to take that um, into consideration. So um, I do believe the Bible is the ultimate authority. And I do believe, um, you know, what it says about divorce. Um, I do believe that there are causes clauses in there that, um, we can divorce, but I do believe in that. So, um, I think that, um, the process when you, when you have difficulties in a relationship or you're with somebody who's kind of inconsiderate or hurtful or whatever, the process should be that I verbalize that I, I figure out what's going on with myself. I verbalize it and I give them a chance uh, to, I let them know, I give them a chance to fix it. That's, that's the healthy pattern. I verbalize it. I give them a chance to fix it. I see if they fixed it. Right. Um, if they haven't fixed it. Okay. Well then I, I give some sort of consequence. Um, all the while I'm responsible for myself, um, and knowing what I will subject myself to or not subject myself to. Right. So when you start seeing a pattern of they're not fixing anything, but it's something so significant that it's sticking with you for so long, those might be indicators that the relationship is, is not good. And I'm not just talking about a, a marriage because that has to take so much more into consideration. Um, but other kind of relationships, um, dating relationships, get out of that dating relationship. You're not married. If you already see the red flags, red sign, the, the, um, red flags and the warning signs and, um, and you're not seeing growth or change. Those are things that you need to take into account. Um, if you're being abused, I mean, that's, that's an, a sign, right? If you're being abused, if, um, if it's impacting your mental health so much that you are depressed. Um, and then remember that not everything needs a 100%. I need to cut everything off. Sometimes it's, um, I need to figure out, I need to figure out how to set limits. Um, I need to 
I need to make an emotional boundary where I, um, I, I limit myself and how much I care and I focus on their validation. Um, it might be a physical boundary. Sometimes, um, there's some people that have limitations are hard to be around after, after a certain amount of minutes or a certain amount of time. So we move our, remove ourselves physically. We only allow ourselves to be there for a little bit, but we can stay in relationship with that person when we know how to observe those limits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are some, some signs. If what, you do, are, do you want to add to that? No, she actually, like, I was going to say, like, there's different types of relationships that we're all in. You know, if I go to the post office and this person, you know, is is problematic or if if we have some rough interactions or something like that, like that's completely different than if I am at home with my husband, right, right. you know, every day. And what does that look like? And what does scripture tell me to do? And, right. you know, all of those kind of things. So I think that, um, that, yeah, she hit, she basically just said what I was going to say. Well, I think one I thing I saw your notes, I knew Bye what it. you were going to say. And I just, I saw your plagiarism section, (laughs) a little thing you just did recently. So I, I think like one thing that's helped me is thinking through Matthew 18 in a very practical way. You know, like if you go to, if somebody hurts you, what is their response when you go to them and you try to bring the offense to them? Mm -hmm. Is it defensiveness? Mm -hmm. Is it a constant stream of, well, let me explain. Mm -hmm. Or is it, can you tell me more so I can understand? what I did wrong. And then look, judging by their, their reaction of when you come to them, do they genuinely repent and try to understand they want to make a change or is it just constant defensiveness and a recycling of the same problems over and over again? To me, that is like a practical way that I've worked out in my little brain of, of how to recognize those those red flags of, Oh, I think I'm in an unhealthy situation here because there's been a bit of a pattern established of when I go to this person, when I have hurt feelings and they're just cold toward me or they're defensive, this probably isn't going to work because they're not repenting. Mm -hmm. And repentance isn't just about saying, I'm sorry. It's about like Kat said, make fixing it, making a change, doing something Mm -hmm. different, learning, having an insight about themselves something you know it it otherwise i i think after there's a pattern of that it's like this this might not be a good situation now we're gonna facebook i know you're waiting we're coming to your questions on facebook in just a okay. minute but this here's another Are one we gonna do joey's on, question i i was coming for my cousin joey right now <laughs> okay okay cousin Yes, Joey says that he loves pineapple pizza. No, I'm just playing. Joey wouldn't. <laughs> Joey would never say that. I apologize, Joey. Don't want to. Don't want to get off on the wrong foot. He says, "Is it enabling to allow a BIPOC person to claim they experienced a microaggression when you know it was a common, when you know it was just a common human yeah. offense we all experience?" Let me get started on microaggressions. Oh my goodness. Mm, girl, I'm here for it today. <laughs> talked about it. I think, you know, first of all, I think when it comes to microaggressions or whatever word is, it's being used to whatever's going on internally that people um, take offense at. I think that first of all, that is a, um, usually that is a spiritual issue between us and God. That's not an offense to another person. When we act upon that thing that's going on inside of us internally, that may be an offense. Um, but I think we do have a highly sensitive culture who focuses more on um, emotions. They value emotions more than logic. Now, even when they're shown um, 
logic. And they do this thing called emotional reasoning, where they believe that whatever they feel is true because they feel it, not because it's true necessarily. So there are a, a large amount of people who are, there's a big number of people who are highly sensitive, no longer have a thick skin, who are very emotionally focused, who do, um, feel exaggerated effects of things that would typically be normal. Um, now, that, that brings into play of what's your responsibility and what's their responsibility. Um, there's empathy, and then I think this brings us back into the empathy without discernment, um, because you, you do... You don't want to. You don't want to involve yourself into a system where you now become manipulated by some sort of victimhood, right? Because that's that's what is kind of happening right now. Um, uh, you want to have empathy, um, but you you don't have to. Um, you don't have to agree. Um, and there's just so empathy doesn't have to be yourself. agreement. Mm -hmm. no. Okay. But I do think I, I do think though that we a big problem that we have in, a big issue that we have in society is that we are just so focused on empathy, which I do think the devil has worked through and has put in generations to get here, um, to to move a whole group of people, even believers, um, through the guise of empathy um, for things that are false, or things that are not true or not righteous. Um, and I do think that gets us in trouble. And I do think it does sometimes get us into their their um, dynamic of again being kind of gaining power by playing victim mm -hmm. so it's a to, tough one i used to have a professor and he would say he, he was my speech professor and when people would walk in late and have all their excuses he'd be like you know what i empathize but i don't sympathize and hmm. so hmm. he would break it down and say like look i understand we all have things that come up but do you want me now to feel overly sorry for yeah. you because, you know, you're going to lose a point or whatever? Well, I don't like everybody right. has life that comes up. I understand that. Yeah. And no, I'm not like going to, you know, change my whole grading process because I feel so sorry for you for right. having this, you know, whatever. Came Which up. is the reason of giving all that all mm -hmm. the sub story, right, is to get you to make some sort of change. Right. So gaining some sort of power through that victimhood, right? Yes. I think one of the things that you can do when you can't, even setting limits and those things, you can't control what somebody else, how they respond. Um, you can learn assertive communication all you want to and be wonderful at it. It doesn't guarantee that they're going to respond the way that we want them to. There's a lot of other factors that affect them in that. Um, but what you can do is um, work on yourself in regards to how much I will take on emotionally and how much I won't. And really that ends up frustrating them so much. But if you think about that energy thing again, again, that's kind of a weird concept. But if somebody has, um, usually if they're that sensitive, it has way more to do with them than it has to you. But because they don't want to deal with that, they don't want to deal with, um, they lack resilience. They don't want to um, feel tough feelings and see it through. They give it to you, right? So that's why they're they're, they're giving you this thing that's kind of a normal thing and they're kind of magnifying it, right? Um, what you have to learn how to do is how to give that energy back without being spiteful, without being um, unchristian-like, um, in a loving way, know how to set that limit emotionally. So you choose not to take that on. Now, um, sometimes people do need some sort of like, hey, I hear some sort of validation for this is how you feel. And sometimes that resolves it. But if they keep on going, then you have to learn how to um, set that emotional boundary for yourself and not take on um, more. So effectively, you move forward with your life, even if they're kind of stuck there, as long as you've kind of addressed it. So it almost sounds like cooperating on with some of these microaggression conversations can almost turn into a form of enabling 
a victim mentality, which yes, I think so, might not sure. be actually helpful to that person. It allows to me, it allows the story to continue instead yes. of like, like, look, if if you walk in a door and you're like, I walk in a door, I'm black, you're white, and you let the door close in my face, you know, maybe that's and, never and, happened. <laughs> Oh my gosh, how many times has it happened? But Oops. it could it could just be that you're not paying attention. That would be you me. know. Right. Um and so yes, that can cause some feelings, that can cause some questions and you right. like look, I understand like that that causes some questions and I don't have to agree that it was race racially motivated. Mhm. I can and that's do for both. you to resolve, right? Like when we're angry about those kind of things, when we have to assume we want to assume the best intentions of the other person, mm-hmm. right? Um, so the rest over the the rest of the rest over the rest of the emotions that are left over, that's for us to resolve. We, our world it lacks so many boundaries; um, it's just boundaryless, and so we don't know how to set those limits or how to observe them. Those are that's our thing to take to God, right, and let Him work out. Um, I do think that um, that those microaggressions and all those things kind of in creates a system of, um, of never fully being able to reconcile because I, I can always come back at you with a microaggression that you can't prove, um, that is internal, but I can always knock you down a peg so I can kind of come up. Oh, sorry. Okay. That's yeah. Not, you know, no, I don't want to go down that road. We're running out of time. Now I want to ask a question. Sorry. Are you going to ask your question? I'm trying to make sure we get all the questions. Here. I don't want to be racist. I don't want to have a microaggression. <laughs> Too late. No, Go ahead. Well, good. Go ahead. I'm I'm the only white person. Okay. Um, let's go to the all the things Facebook feed for a minute. There's a few, couple comments there I want to hit real fast. Um. Yeah. Go go scroll down a little bit. Yeah, right there, Georgetta. She says, I do believe it is possible to guide someone in biblical truth without being able to empathize. I'm not going to be able to experience everything that other people do, but I can still use biblical principles to counsel and love based on our common state as sinners saved by grace, which is, I think that's a helpful point because, um, you know, I sometimes I struggle with empathy and then I know that there's other people that like empathy is so high for them. And, you know, they, it was, so we can be at different levels of feeling, but we both need, you know, to, to be able to guide people to biblical principles right. um, either way. And the Lord uses that, right? I mean, the Lord, the, we have some people who are gifted in being so um, in tune with their emotions. We need those people. We can't always be austere, tough people. Yeah. We need soft nurturing, um, loving people in that way. But we also need, we, we don't, we don't want a culture where we just have that. We also need the more logical, um, magic person. The Lord will use all of that. Yeah. And I think for me, like one thing I've had to learn is, okay, I struggle with empathy. So that's something I need to work on, Mm. you know, whereas somebody who's maybe has hypersensitivity with empathy, they have to work on more of the, the love or the logic side logic. of love, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's, and we do need each other. I think my mm-hmm. husband and I love each, our kids in different ways. He has mm-hmm. high levels of empathy and um, parents are kids differently than I do, mm-hmm. but our kids need, they, they need right. both of us for that. So I think Jesus was a great example of that balance of he was um, 
had great empathy and love for and compassion, but he spoke truth. He said, go and sin no more. Even if he was very compassionate before, um, he made people make a choice, yet he was still compassionate. I think that's the example that we. That's a good one. Douglas Roy on the CFBU Facebook page asks, is um, is helicopter parenting Mm. a form of um, of enabling? Would that be a type of enabling? Oh, that's a good question. That is a good question. Um, So I have. There are some people that will say helicoptering parenting is good and not enabling. Um, I will say um, there is an enabling aspect to that. Um, I do think that there's, there's, we, we want to strive to have enough rigidity to where we are uh, firm, we have boundaries, we are overseeing what's going on, our children are not left to themselves, um, but we do also need some sort of um, ability to allow our children to uh, experience emotions to, and to learn how to pull through tough emotions and that they're not the end of the world. So I do think that helicopter parenting has some benefits, but it does need to be tapered off because then we have a whole bunch of anxious children who um, go to a lot of things to relieve that anxiety because they don't believe that they can pull through it. Um, we kind of sometimes have to push our kids out of the nest and let them struggle, a little, well, not let them struggle necessarily like for a school, but let them deal with uncomfortable feelings. That is a part of life. So part of our job in parenting is to help prepare them for life later as an adult. So if we are not allowing them to have independence and um, to build up and independent peace and be able to do for themselves, we're kind of um, hurting them a little bit about with that for their that, adult life. That independent peace, are you referring to like consequences? Um, I'm referring to like being a like a helicopter parenting, like won't allow their children to make any decisions or um, do anything on their own without, it's like micromanagement, right? Like at the workplace, they're looking over your shoulder every second, they're mm. crossing all, making sure your your eyes are dotted and your T's are, um, are crossed. Um, so in that sense, it could be consequences. We, we step in before we don't allow for natural consequences that can be, um, it might also just be, um, your kids don't learn how to organize or how to do things for themselves because you're always doing it for them. I, I think that's a whole topic I would love to do one day all by myself. <laughs> just mm-hmm. yes. I think one thing that my boss advised me of once he says, children need a fine-tuned amount of pain. Like if mm-hmm. too much pain and if the life becomes overwhelming and traumatic, mm-hmm. then right. the child, it, it's difficult for the child to cope. Mm-hmm. But if you try to avoid all pain and suffering and difficulty for the child, they will never grow properly in their mm-hmm. emotions. And so yeah. you need to be in this uncomfortable yeah, place as a, as a parent yeah. They have a fine-tuned amount of, I like how you said that, Kat, of, of learning how to endure difficult emotions because yeah. that is a part of being a healthy adult is That's right. you start to understand, oh, life has seasons and these are difficult emotions and I will survive. And um, in a day or two, the emotions will abate and it will get better. And, and those I are things can, that they learn. They're supposed yeah, to learn, right? Yeah. But people who don't learn that develop traits of personality disorders. Right. Because they that season turns into a lifetime because they never pull through. Um, they, mm-hmm. they never get to that part where they realize that God will see them through. And that is an important part that we have to do. And I was thinking uh, in parenting, I think I was thinking about um, how Jesus sent out his disciples and he said, hey, I, um, I send you out amongst um, 
the wolves, it, the wolves, right? Yeah. To and um, to be gentle as as does, but wise as serpents, right? So he sent them out. Mm-hmm. I think we can pattern ourselves after that. But he prepared them, but he sent them out. Go ahead. I was just gonna begin to to do the rap. Okay. But um, do you is already? Rap? Huh? You're gonna rap? No. No. Okay, freestyle. No. <laughs> no. I meant okay. doing the wrap up. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Yes. So uh, when in your talk for the up conference, you're going to kind of be talking a little bit more broadly about enabling when it comes to Christian ministries and m- helping ministries and that kind of thing. We've really talked a lot in this mm-hmm. conversation about individuals individuals and kind of interpersonal Mm -hmm. relationships maybe you could just give us a little preview of what you're going to be doing at the up conference in your talk well we're going to talk about um four ways that um the church which could be individual right but it can also be the church overall um might be enabling its its members and and the church so the church might be enabling the church to continue in sin um, to go down a path that's not the best, um, to not, um, something that would, that inhibits their spiritual maturity, their spiritual growth, um, drawing closer to Christ responsibility for themselves, um, responsibility in life, you know, work, things like that. Um, so we're going to go over, um, what are some of the ways that the church might do that so that we can correct that and look at, well, what do we need to do? Very good. Yes. Now here's a question. Are you going to look at um, the church in conjunction or connection to the community? Well, in regards to like non-believers? Yeah, like um, as far as, yeah. yeah, as far as like, are there ways that the church may be enabling people within their community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, outside yeah. of the church, sorry, <laughs> but within like the larger. Right, community. right, right, right. Like enabling them for um, dependency, mm-hmm. work-wise, not working, being idle, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, not not posing truth to them as well, or whole, discussing sin. Yes. If it's not on there, it. I'll work it in there now. I'm gonna be at your talk. I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna have to you know make sure that I can just sneak away to get yeah. right there. there yes. Yes. Well, thank you, Kat, for coming on and talking to us. This has been really helpful. I think people have really enjoyed the conversation. And once again, if you want to get connected to Katrina and her ministry, you can go to beautifullyrooted.com. You can also find her on Facebook under Beautifully Rooted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Instagram and YouTube. Okay. Instagram, YouTube. She puts out videos and it is B-E and then Y-O-U. So B. You to flee rooted. All right. Thank you. Very thank good. You for having me. Well, thank you so much for, for, for being coming. here. Yeah. Thank you. We're looking forward to having you at the conference. I'm looking forward to being there. All right. All right. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Well, that was that was really helpful. Yes. I oh my gosh. The whole the whole conversation of enablement versus empowerment. I know it's something you're really passionate about. I'm really, really passionate about it. So, yes, I can't wait for her talk and um, just looking, I mean, especially as a justice issue, you know, when we want to do justice, if we don't understand that there is a way to do justice that actually enables people, like that's a problem. Yeah. Because in Genesis, going to your favorite book, (laughs) 
in Genesis, God set up um, from the creation the way that mankind is supposed to live and to operate within the earth. We are created to work, to rule, to reign. You know, like there are things that we're supposed to do. We are created as male or female. And if I am as a church leader, a pastor, a elder or whatever, you know, I set up a justice ministry in my church with out understanding that I am creating dependency or I am allowing people to participate in sin, am I really doing justice? Yeah, it's such a great question because I think so often we do get caught up in the empathy part of it. If I just want to help people, mm-hmm. I feel sad for them. But then the system that we create to help them actually just creates a dependency and and, that's not going to actually help them in the long run. And it goes against in some ways God's definitive created order for a human person. Yeah. And so sure, you know, like if someone needs groceries or something like that, sure. But if we create a system where now this person no longer needs to work, yeah, to be able to provide for themselves. If we remove human agency from some of these things, that is a problem. And so how do we empower? How do we as the church come alongside individuals, whether they're in our congregation or they're within the community? How do we empower people versus enabling them? Yeah. So our children, our church, our community. Yeah. So, yeah. so good. Uh, really quickly, I want to talk about my class that's going to be starting very soon. Do it. Uh, God's Big Story. You can go register at theologymom.com slash classes. And we're going to go through the whole Bible in eight weeks. And basically, it's going to be a class on how to interpret the Bible, kind of the nuts and bolts of how to do that. And mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to it. I would love to have you join us. If you're listening to the show and you enjoy what we do, I'd uh, love to have you jump on board and be part of the class. So it's going to be eight weeks. It's a shorter class. Uh, like the, the race class we just did was mm-hmm. like 12 weeks, 13 yeah. weeks, something. So this is a shorter class, but we're going to go through the whole Bible and really give you a framework for how to interpret scripture. So go check it out. Check it out. Yes, yes. All right. And now, it's not just at theologymom.com, right? No. You can also go to Center for Biblical Unity. We just have the, the yeah. cool graphic with the... Uh, okay, I just... I was, I, was, I was unclear. Yeah. I didn't know. Sorry. We just have the cool graphic. You can find her many places, friends. All right. And now it's time for... Mo's Moment. <laughs> Glory gold. I don't. I don't. I don't know. We might need to reconsider these things. The glitter. Yeah, but glory glitter. That don't seem biblical. <laughs> that don't. Yeah, I just thought about that. Like, Bob knows how much you like glitter. I love glitter. Everything's better with glitter. Everything is better with glitter. All right. So, so what's on your mind? Our most moment was sparked by the one and only Edwin Ramirez, who's also speaking at the Up Conference. He is. This um, tweet says, or Facebook post says, the Bible is the only rule for faith and practice. And one of the things we've been talking about this week is how the Bible is our source for life and godliness. Yes. And 
still with it being our source for life of life and godliness i don't need to go to a sociology book to tell me how to be a righteous person to tell me how to live to tell me how to do justice and we can also find truth through and i'm gonna let you explain this um because i feel like i'm about to butcher it but we can also find (laughs) truth through like natural revelation yeah that was pretty good whoop whoop (laughs) I'm glad seminary is starting back up for you. But uh, yeah. Soon. Next so one week. of the most common questions we get is this idea. And, and I love that you picked this because it, it gives us a good opportunity to talk about it. Is one of the, the common questions we get is, what does it mean? What does this phrase, the sufficiency of scripture actually mean? And I think Edwin's really captured it here in what you picked of it is the only rule for faith and practice. And so what we mean by the sufficiency of scripture is that um, it's not that we only, that the scripture is the only source of truth. Scripture is the ultimate source of truth, and mm-hmm. it is the measuring stick that we use to measure truth, right? But we can we can find truth in what we call general revelation or common grace. Now, people who are sympathetic, Christians who are sympathetic to critical race theory will want to put that framework in the realm of common grace. And so they'll say, well, we can do both. We can have the Bible and we can have critical race theory. And so you often hear this, this kind of response to that is, well, no, the, the Bible is sufficient. Mm-hmm. So what some people think that means is, well, the Bible is the only source of truth. And that's not exactly what that means. It means it is the ultimate source of truth. It's our measuring line. It's the for standard. Truth. Mm-hmm. So then I can look at something like critical race theory and I can say, well, where does it correspond to the Bible? The idea of race being a social construct, Mm -hmm. I think, could be an idea that corresponds to the Bible. It's compatible with the Bible. But other ideas in critical race theory clearly contradict the Bible, Mm -hmm. such as the idea that um, only white people can be racist, for example. Well, no, racism is a sin. Sin affects all humans. So it's not based on skin color. We don't get that idea from the Bible. So we can use the Bible to evaluate another framework and see where it corresponds. But I only need the Bible to tell me how to live a holy life. I don't read Robin DiAngelo to learn how to live a holy life. Yeah. The Bible is the source of faith and practice. So those are my thoughts about that. Why don't you jump in here? Um, you know... I don't know that I have any more thoughts on it. I think that 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 was exactly what I was thinking and wanting to be said very artfully. Um, 
and yeah, I kind of feel like I'd muddle it up. <laughs> but um, I definitely understand and, and want people to understand that the scriptures are ultimate truth. They tell us what is good, true, and beautiful. And when someone approaches us with something and says, well, this is true, capital T true, we can look in the word, we can look to the word and say, well, does this correspond? Does it not correspond? And things like that. But um. Yeah, that is that that was my little moment. It was just based off of our conversations this week. Yeah, it's a good one. And it's a good clarifying comment because I see this on our social media feeds a lot that people think that what we're saying is the Bible is the only source of truth. That, and that's what we mean by saying the Bible is sufficient or the sufficiency of Scripture. It's not actually exactly what we mean. And I think Edwin nails it here yeah. of of that it's our source of faith and practice. Yes. So. Leave it to good old Edwin. That's right. Coming through. That's why he's the pastor. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. (laughs) All right. Well, this has been good. It has been good. It's time for us to go. Okay. We got to go pack. We're going to Virginia. I'm already packed. I haven't even started. All right. We pray that you guys have a great week. Please pray for us as we are traveling this week. But we will be back next week. Same time, same channel. That's right. We'll see you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to All The Things. Be sure to subscribe to our website at allthethingsshow.com and find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you stream your podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the bell so you'll receive alerts when we post new shows. We'll see you next week.